welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where this week, like many in Northeast Ohio and probably much of the Midwest, we are all facing the worst case scenario. It's the best worst case scenario. It is the worst case scenario. The best only thing that possibly could scenario. have made it worse is, I don't know, maybe the um, Pittsburgh Pirates could be in the World Series. And then that's a worst case scenario for everybody. But... <laughs> Yeah, but nobody's going to support the pirates. I mean, that's just not going to happen. All right, so for those of you who might be living under a rock or elsewhere, and even I can intelligently talk about this sport ball event of the World Series lineup. Which is kind of amazing in its own right. Let's, let's, I let's, mean, let's, let's all take a moment. With, with, without even looking it. at the rest of the stuff around this, it's the yeah. fact that there is a bit of the World Series that, that you can talk and, and you're willing to talk intelligently about. Well, that I can. Let's start with can. Um, okay, so 1903 was the last time the Cubs won the World Series. Mm-hmm. 1945-ish, I think, was the last time they were even in the World Series. Mm-hmm. And last night, on Saturday night, in game six of the series against the L.A. Dodgers, they won the right to play in the World Series. That's huge news for the Cubs. Apparently, the celebration in Wrigleyville, because it was at home in Wrigley, the celebration in Wrigleyville was so intense that one of my knitting buddies, who does not follow baseball in any way, shape, or form, actually live blogged, live Facebooked from his back porch so that you could hear the crowds in Wrigleyville. And he, oh, as he was sitting out there, he overheard an older gentleman, he said it was about in his 70s, that was crying um, underneath his porch. He didn't realize that there was anybody around, again, <laughs> other than the other people crying, but was crying and made the statement of, I wish my mother was still alive to see this. That's how intense the love for the Cubs is. I mean, this is a big deal for them. Well, that's how intense the love for the Cubs are. In that neighborhood, because on the other side of town where Comiskey Park no, is, yeah, it, <laughs> there will be it, no joy in Mudville down in the south side of Chicago. O- over in, in White Sox land. Right. Uh, it is a very divided city between north and south. But yes, but the cub, the love for the Cubs and the appreciation for the fact that the Cubs have waited a very long time for this is fairly universal across the country. But then you go a mere seven hours away to Cleveland, our adopted home. 1948 was the last time the Cleveland Indians won the World Series. Now, they've been to the World Series since then. The last time they were at the World Series was 1997, where they lost to the Florida Marlins. In extra innings in seven games. And I was up at 1 a.m. and I watched that. You also went to some... I I was at game one for that series... And I went to every one. I, I went to at least one game in every one of the the playoff series to lead up to that down in Florida, at Pro Robbie Stadium. They they don't play at Pro Robbie anymore. No, they don't. Anyway, um, so to say that there will be incredible joy and crying and about times, no matter which team wins, is probably an understatement. Well, you know, they, they, they captured it well on the news as, as to how this week is shaping up in town. 
Oh, yeah. Because Tuesday night, which is opening day of the World Series, is also opening day for the NBA season where the Cavaliers will get their rings and do that celebration. And they'll hoist so we the championship banner. Hoist the banner. So we have the Cavaliers celebrating Tuesday night. We have the Indians and the Cubs opening up World Series Tuesday night. So two big events this week. And then we'll have the Browns do whatever they're going to do at some point this week. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was exactly how they said it. <laughs> you know that song by Meatloaf? Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> That's what we got right now. So, I mean, it's a it's an incredible time. It's an incredible time to be in a city that has had this experience. I mean, and I have told Michael this a couple of times. Um, you know, Legacy Family supports the club, the the Cubs. We have an adopted home in Cleveland. In a way, I can't lose. No matter which team wins, I win in supporting them. But in a way, I also can't win because no matter which team wins, I lose. See, there you go. So it is the best, worst possible case scenario. It is scenario. the worst case scenario. But my feeling is just at my core, I have to support the Indians a little bit more this year. Because I think the double championship for Cleveland would probably put this town over the edge, and I'd love to see that. And there's something about the two championships, which actually is three if you include the minor league hockey team that started the championship series all off. True. Um, the Lake Erie Monsters. Um, but to have the two championships in 2016 – which if you drop the zero becomes 216, which is the area code for Cleveland. See? There. That's my whole rationale. However, 1903 to 2006 is 113 years, and the Cubs are kind of due. <laughs> <laughs> so go baseball. All right. So let's move from winning teams to winning teams. Oh, we're going to talk about Mercedes? We actually are. Yay! Um, and actually, we're going to go back a little bit because, you know, last week we had the knives coming out going toward Ferrari. This week, the knives are coming out going to Mercedes. Um, Ross Braun, who built essentially the foundation of this team, and uh, it was out of the ashes of the old Honda team and Braun GP that uh, Jensen Button won his, his title with, um, ultimately became the Mercedes team. He sold the team off to Mercedes. Um, he retired a few years ago, which we all were under the impression, because this is how the press kind of played it out, that, that he'd been wandering through the paddock and the, the pit lane, and he was pulling a Murtaugh. He's wandering around going, I'm getting too old for this. I, I don't <laughs> do a very good Danny Glover, sorry. But you know, he was doing that. Well, he's releasing a book this this either this week or next week. November 3rd. November 3rd. You can pre-order it now. On Amazon, we'll provide you a, a link. Okay, you do that. Okay. It, it's tied to your account, the affiliate, so there you go. Oh, is it? Yeah, so if you go through and buy it through our webpage. You would be supporting the bloke and or the bird. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Um, anyway, um, it's November 3rd is when the book comes out. It's called Ross Braun Strategy of F1. Something like that. Something to that. We'll effect. have a link to it. But yeah, he's he's coming out with with a uh, 
with a book, and he decided to, it's a bit of a tell-all, so um, giving the real reason why he left. Ooh. Obviously, it involves naked pictures and wild nights with Toto Wolf, doesn't it? Um, I don't know about the, the wild nights part. But, but naked pictures. Apparently, Toto and Ross um, didn't get along. One of the things that he talks about is um, at some point, Toto had a walk with Colin Coles, who at the time was the um, the team boss for Mercedes. And Toto supposedly made several disparaging remarks about Ross, which became semi-public later. Mm-hmm. According to Ross, um, Toto said to Colin, he said, I was resting on my money now. I had got all this money, and I wasn't interested in the team anymore. And I wasn't motivated, and I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. That the team needed a fresh impetus and all that sort of stuff. Distressing slightly. He was very new to the team, and he had been flattered by the board's attention. What the board had said to him, from what I understand, is this team is not working for some reason. You're a smart businessman. You know Williams. Can you just go in there and tell us what's wrong? So he was giving Coles, Colin Coles, a snapshot of what he was mentally rehearsing, I guess. Interesting. Well, it's not like it was any better with Mr. Alauda. Well, there was a, he also lays the hiring of Patty Lowe as the, the team's technical boss as part of the issue because I guess he wasn't particularly happy with Patty. He doesn't like Patty. Um, he says it had been signed off in, in – uh, the hiring of Patty had been signed off in Stuttgart. It wasn't brought to him. He had nothing to do with it. He said when he challenged Toto and Nikki, they blamed each other. He said, I met them to have it out with them, and they both pointed to each other. Well, in addition to that, apparently a lot of other people, a lot of other people, remember how we were talking at Mercedes kept bringing on more and more mm-hmm. people at the top end a couple of years they ago? They just decided to buy up all the talent. They bought up all the talent. Well, every <coughs> one of those people was brought in, and he would talk, Ross Braun would talk to Nikki Lauda about it, and Nikki would tell him one thing, but then he would hear almost the exact opposite through the ranks. So he was feeling very much like he was being pushed out. Yeah. So... I am sure that this book will be a fascinating tell-all of all of the details. I'm really kind of hoping that it'll burn Bernie a little bit, too. I don't think that'll happen. By the way, the book is called Total Competition, Lessons in Strategy from Formula One, and it's written both by Ross and by Adam Parr. Get Um, your copy today. Also got some news, and and this is something that kind of – I expected, and, and I'm in a way, I'm a little disappointed that he turned it down. But Ross was also invited to become involved in Formula One and help uh, shape the regulations or the future of the sport. Hmm. Um, he said the invitation, however, was to get involved in the politics of Formula One because that's what all of these things are about. And he said that's the thing about Formula One he hated the most, and that's why he turned it down. Well, that explains, I mean, that you got to respect somebody that says, I'm not going to do what I hate the most. Yeah. He says, it's probably the arena I am least comfortable with in Formula One. The thing is, though, I think, you know, a lot of the questions that we've got about the new regulations and if they're too aero-dependent and how they're going to impact, I think Ross has a better idea and a better understanding of that than most. Sure. 
But Ross also says part of the issue is that he believes that there's no quick and easy fix for any of the issues in Formula One. Mm. You need a three- to five-year plan. He wants to do a three- to five-year plan. And he said he went to Formula One management and said he'd like to do a, a three- to five-year plan. And they said, no, 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 we need something right now. <laughs> we need a quick fix. He said, but you need to do th- – it's going to take three to five years to put in, a- anything in place. And I said, no, we, we want something right away. We need to do something right now. And then he said, that was two years ago. And so they we've c- got nothing. So we could have had a three-year plan that could have gone into effect next year, but – they didn't want to make a three to five year plan. Therefore, we've done nothing in the three years. Yeah, pretty much. Way to go. So, you know, we mentioned last week, this has been a long season. To the, and, and, you know, I was looking at some of the, the clips and things that we have, and it, it seems like it was years ago that we were listening to all the the debates and the complaining and the issues with the disaster of qualifying that we had to put up with at the beginning of the season. It feels like that was years ago. And that was really only seven months ago? Uh-huh. Wow. I'd almost forgotten that we had a disaster of qualifying. Thank you for bringing it back up. Now I can just circle back around and be angry about it all over again. Well, I put it behind me, but no, you had to drag it back up again. Speaking of of things that happened earlier in a season that feels like it was years ago, do you remember this quote? I honestly believe that the next world champions will be after Mercedes will be McLaren. I think we get, I think we get to that goal before other people. Yes, I do remember that because we made fun of it immensely. Well, that would be for those of you that don't recognize the voice or can't place the quote, McLaren's Ron Dennis. Well, word is coming out that Ron Dennis may be leaving the team when his contract expires. Now, I had heard about this a couple – actually, it was right around summer break. James Allen had something on his website that basically said all of this. And I'm like, well, this sounds interesting, but nobody else is talking about it, so maybe no. But now it's looking like this may actually happen. So here's what's what's going on. Um, uh, Ron returned to the CEO of the entire McLaren Technology Group. So that includes – McLaren Racing, McLaren Marketing, and McLaren Applied Technologies. It does not include the the sports car group. Right. So he returned to them in 2014. Um, As part of that whole return, he's currently a 25% shareholder in the group and was trying to buy out the remaining 50% that was owned by um, Mumtalakat, which is a uh, Bahraini sovereign uh, wealth group investment group and then the other part which is a 25 percent owned by Mansour OJ who's been his long-term business partner okay he has not been able to raise the capital to buy them out interesting so as a result of that the expectation is that um since he could not buy them out he may be out the door hmm. very interesting yeah now Spokesman for McLaren Technology Group says that he he will remain in charge, that uh, he will remain 
contracted to the teams and contracted to the organization as the CEO. But speculation is rising now that uh, that may not be the case. And very interesting. I don't know. Hmm. You know, th- there's been a lot of battles between Ron and the board. Um, I think the that whole group forced him out initially and put Martin Whitmarsh in charge. Martin, who has um, since disappeared to... I'm, I, I, I'm guessing possibly under a lake somewhere is what Ron did with him because <laughs> we he just you know there was no announcement or anything like that it was just, he was just gone. Mm-hmm. We heard hey Ron's back and nobody heard anything from Martin ever again. Maybe Martin and Don are the same person. And who? Ron. Oh, I thought you said Don. I was like, what? Maybe they're the same person. Probably Maybe that's not. Like, that, that's their schizophrenic. Um, Dual personalities. Probably not. I'm just, you know, throwing that out there that maybe Ron Dennis is the evil um, alter ego of Martin Whitmarsh. I doubt it. Have you ever seen them in the same place at the same time? Yes. Darn it. 2012, there were a couple of times. They weren't happy to be near each other, but... Body doubles. Whatever. So let's move on. Okay, sure. Okay. Lewis Hamilton. Yes, Lewis. He can add a new thing to his resume. What will he be putting on his CV now? Video game star. How does one become a video game star? He will actually be appearing as a character in the next Call of Duty uh, game, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, which is to be released on November 4th. He filmed six scenes for the game. So is he going to appear as cannon fodder? No. Um, he's done a couple of things. I've seen some pictures of him um, in like uh, like a motor pool type of a thing in front of some toolboxes or something. I don't know enough about the game to know what is going on, but his he apparently has a character that has a role in this game. I don't know what the storyline is. So I, you know, it, it may be one of these atmospheric things, but he did six different scenes. So it's, I, I can't imagine it's just a, a quick little throwaway. Hey, look, oh, there's Lewis. There, I think there was a little more to it than that, but I don't know. Very interesting. It's something different. It's a Lewis thing. I mean, surely. Now, the question is, did the video game kill the Formula One star? We shall see. We shall see. Okay. Um, Kimmy had some words about Max this week. Wait a minute. More than five? Um, I, it, it may have been ten. <laughs> <laughs> Probably started with, uh, well, you know. Uh. Okay. <laughs> no, he actually, you know, Kimmy and Max haven't exactly been the best of buddies. That's an understatement. Yeah, but Kimmy has actually said that Max is doing a good job despite all the criticism that has been launched at him. Wow. Yeah. Um, they've had several uh clashes throughout the year but kimmy says that max is doing a good job at red bull despite being quote a bit on the limit at times 
Well, I can agree. Max is doing a good job at Red Bull. He's sometimes a wee bit less in control than I'd like him to be. Now, I'm not going to try and, and recreate how Kimmy speaks. Because that's unique to Kimmy, and it's actually, I think, kind of painful when anybody else, to, to anybody who tries to do it, let alone anybody who's got to listen to it. But what he said was, like I've always said, you can have two different opinions. As one guy is happy and another one is not, depending on who comes out on top. I have nothing against him. He's a good driver, and he's doing a good job. Obviously, certain things are a bit on the limit, but there are stewards in the races, and that will decide if it's good or not. These things will always balance out in the long run. Sometimes you end up fighting with the same driver many times in one year and then with another driver in the next year. But I have nothing really to say about him, which it sounded like he actually had a bunch of things to say about him. I mean, for Kimmy, he said a lot. I know. I mean, for (laughs) Kimmy, when you, you know, when you adjust the word count based on the average person versus the Kimmy uh, version, that's like a paragraph and a half. Yeah. It's a whole novel. Short story. Okay. Now, despite this, further criticism was leveled against Max after the last race in Japan. Mm-hmm. Coming from Lewis, um, and I'm not sure Lewis was completely right. Lewis did try and pull off a move that was on the edge in its own right, but Lewis complained that as he was getting ready to make that move, um, Max had moved it while in the braking zone. Ah. Which, while there is not technically a rule that says that you should not do this, it is an unwritten rule and supposed to be an understanding between the drivers. Um, Mercedes had actually filed initially uh, a complaint against that and withdrew it before the end of the weekend. There was talk going into this weekend, and sure enough, it has happened, but the FIA has now officially come up with a rule that says that you cannot do this. Oh. Which the press has called the Max Verstappen rule. <laughs> Congratulations, Max. You've uh, gotten yourselves into the FIA's rule books in yet another way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it is clarifying the unwritten rule. I mean, that's the important piece. Yeah. The other bit of news that has come out, and actually, you know, maybe we should probably, because of where we are, we should probably play this. Because we got a lot of silly season news. We do? We actually do. Okay. Although the first story is for negotiations for 2018. Okay. So word hit the, um, word hit the, the, the press uh, or or hit the wires that, um, contract negotiations between Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari for, um, the 2018 season, the 2018, not the 2017 season, but the 2018 season has been put on hold. So we're starting silly season for 2018 already? Uh Uh-huh. Excellent. Um, Okay. But it's being put on hold. It's a 2018 contract. Putting that on hold is not a big deal. Except, fully set the picture here. 
and you even called this out. I, I didn't see the story, but it has gotten a bit of traction over the last week. There were the comments that were made by um, Maurizio Rivabene about how um, Kimmy is doing much better than Seb and that Seb will need to prove his value and earn his place on the team for 2018. So you have those comments, then followed a few days later by word that contract negotiations for 2018 for Seb are on hold, and all of a sudden heads start spinning. Well, yes, and heads are going to start exploding because <clears throat> what the heck is going on, whatever, and all of that kind of stuff. But let's put it in some perspective. We don't have a full grid of drivers for 2017 yet. True. Seb is going to be driving for Ferrari next year. So that's not that I'm not ready for that season yet. So you don't even want to discuss this. You just want to move on. Well, you, if you have something important to say about it, go on and share. Well, no, it, it's just that Seb's reasoning behind this. Okay. Because suppose this is what what was unclear. Supposedly, it was Seb that has called off these negotiations. Which has, A, led to some questions as to whether or not Seb wants to stay with Ferrari long term and the big German to Ferrari dream and repeat of the Schumacher type thing with Seb is history. But Seb also says that, you know, we, we need to stay focused on the car and focused on the season right now and everything, that, that, and that this is just a distraction. Which, okay, maybe team management? Well, actually, maybe the engineers need to be focused on the car, but management, I'm not sure they do. I, I don't th know. I think Seb may be trying to figure, to, to rethink his future. I think that that is a distinct possibility. That's what I think he I think is, is trying to decide what it is he wants to do. Or at least if he does leave Ferrari, I think there wants, they, he wants the question that it was mutual. And not because Maurizio decided that he wasn't pulling his weight. I don't know. I mean, we we, we know that Seb is upset. It's clear he's upset. Mm -hmm. And this car hasn't performed, the, the team hasn't performed the way he thought it should be, the way anybody thought it should be. Um, I think when we get to the end of the season and we talk about biggest disappointments of the year, Ferrari's going to be up there. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. All right, so some other driver news. Okay. Last week, going back to last week yet again, we talked that Renault had opened negotiations with Valtteri Bottas for 2017. Yep. Autosport is now saying that Valtteri will be remaining at Williams. Not surprising. I did read a brief um, little blip that Lance Stoll was confirmed for Williams, too. That announcement has not come yet. Oh, okay. So the, the thought is it's still going to be after Mexico. Um, but Autosport is saying that it, it's probably going to happen uh, early November, but it is going to be the two of them. So, And Claire Williams came out this week and said that she would be extremely disappointed if Valtteri's first win came from a team other than – came while he was at a team other than Williams. Aw. So. Big surprise. This, I would have bet money on, and I would have lost. Toro Rosso announced that they will be retaining Danny Kvyat for 2017. 
I know. I heard that, and I was utterly stunned. We thought that that boy had completely self-imploded, and he has been pulling himself back out here in the last couple of weeks, but we figured it was too little too late. So, Well, that and, you know, the organization, Red Bull and Toro Rosso's organization, to jettison young drivers who are not performing at the level that they want and, and to jettison them quickly. I kind of figured that given how Daniel has been since he was dropped down to Toro Rosso, that, yeah, we were watching his career flame out. Right. And I think that that's, that was the big fear. But I do think that he pulled it, he's pulled it back together a bit. And I think I'd wonder what the state of the next driver to come up through their program is. If they are not deeming that that person is quite ready yet, um, they may hold on to Daniel. Well, that's Pierre Gasly. And as you recall, in Singapore, Pierre got himself in a bit of trouble for indicating that he was up to get the seat and Daniel was on his way out the door. Right. So, you know, as much as Red Bull is very quick to jettison uh, young drivers that are not performing, they are also very willing to squash rumors and not allow people to come out with information before they do. So, yeah. Now, as for Daniel's teammate. Carlos. Carlos. Um, he's uh, a little getting a little impatient here. Oh. He says that he cannot wait forever as Red Bull's just-in-case option. And his his problem here is that there's nowhere for him to go. Yes, he signed a deal to stay on until 2017. However, both Daniel Ricardo and Max have deals through 2018. Correct. So he's got to figure out what he's going to be doing. Well, and he doesn't want to just hang around at Toro Rosso in the hope that a seat maybe opens at Red Bull. Well, it also is going to depend on if anybody else is talking to him. Yeah. And I would bet right now they're not. Yeah. I mean, a seat in Toro Rosso is better than no seat at all. Mm -hmm. But, if but he's, he's got a contract for next year. Yeah. I, I don't – and right now, you know, as you pointed out, there's still teams looking for bodies to fill seats for next year. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's not going to be coming free until 2018 – is going to be on lower on that list unless there's a decent exit clause, an easy exit clause for him. Well, I understand that, but you know he may be starting to set up for the negotiations for 2018. I mean, obviously Seb's put them on hold. It doesn't mean he has to put them on hold. True. One of the teams that has a seat potentially would be Haas. Oh. You know, it, it looks like Roman Grosjean is. Um, going to get the second season uh autosport believes that the deal has been uh, agreed to even if it hasn't been publicly announced but that leaves esteban gutierrez correct and what his future might look like hmm. so here's what you got to think of okay haas has said that they do not want to go and quote unquote risk the seat on an inexperienced american driver now, the one American driver that they probably could have taken in who is, I would argue against the inexperience piece because he's driven in Formula 1, even if he hasn't driven a lot, would be Alexander Rossi, but Rossi's now under contract to Andretti. Yep. So he's staying in IndyCar. So we could see that. 
But Esteban, having come through the Ferrari organization and being a Ferrari driver, you got to assume that that gives Haas engines or some other parts or other bits and pieces at a discount. Right. So you jettison Esteban, who would you take in it in his place? And can Haas, with no sponsors, survive losing those discounts from Ferrari? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know where, where they would go. But it doesn't mean that there's not another Ferrari young driver that they could pick up to replace Esteban if they wanted to try something else. I, I mean, think the Gutierrez only... has not had a good season this year. He has not. He hasn't scored any points. I believe the only other driver that I have heard of any kind of notoriety that is in the Ferrari program, because the Ferrari program is huge, is John Eric Verne. Mm. And he's got he's got all he's got quite a bit of experience. He's got experience over at Toro Rosso. He's got experience over in Formula E, and wherever else that they're parading him around. Right. But yeah, I don't know. So now, as for a team that was not expecting to fill a seat, that had confirmed drivers, Force India has come out and said, um, "Yeah, we weren't expecting Nico to walk on us." <laughs> That kind of came out of nowhere, or, you know. All of a sudden, we heard rumblings that something might be happening, and a couple of days later, he's gone. Bye, see ya. I'm out of here. Right, bro. That's like the chorus to a bad country song. <laughs> Left yeah. note and lipstick on the on the mirror. Um, Force India has said that they're not going to rush to name a replacement not the least of which is because, again, they weren't expecting Nico to leave, so they didn't exactly have anybody on the radar to talk to. Correct. So they're trying to sort that one out. Well, I'm quite sure there will be a few people available Mm -hmm. that they could look at. Perhaps Esteban Gutierrez. Possibly Esteban Gutierrez, or possibly somebody who may be telegraphing to his team to just fire him already, Jolian Palmer. Ah. Mr. Palmer. Who went out and told the press that um, he's not sure that Renault F1 appreciates its drivers. <laughs> right, right. This coming from the guy whose seat is not secure. I'm not sure this is a great way to walk into negotiations to retain your seat. I'm just saying. And given the amount of experience that your dad has with negotiations, he might have advised you. I, I don't know for sure. I wasn't in a room, but I'm guessing he might have advised you not to do this. He may have. Now, I will say that uh, Senior Palmer Senior has come out and said that his son deserves a seat in Formula One next year. Of course he did. He's contractually obligated to say that. By what contract? The daddy-son contract? Yeah. Do you have one of those? Uh, possibly. <laughs> Wait a minute. If you have one of those, where is my version? I don't know. I think I deserve one I more. I think than it's you. on the wall around the corner. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Daddy thinks that Sunny Boy deserves a contract. Um, I'm not entirely sure that this is the method to get one now. Yeah. And what's even more interesting is that 
Jolien goes on to say this and then talks more about not how great he's done, but how great Kevin has done. Oh. Okay. This is how awesome Kevin is, and you're going to replace one of us. Well, (laughs) maybe if you're fighting for the seat, one, you don't slam your team that, you know, you need them to consider you for the seat. And two, you don't talk up the other guy. Maybe that's how Force India is going to wind up with Jolie and Pollen. Actually, I'm kind of, again, and, and we've talked about these permutations before. There's there's a couple of different directions that they could go. I could see, because of his tie-in with Mercedes, mm-hmm. I could see either Ocon or um, Verline going to Force India. Uh-huh. I could then see, possibly, especially the way Jolien's now talking, I could see Magnuson staying at Renault, at least for, on, on another one-year deal, and Palmer out the door. Along the same lines, I could see Verline and Ocon staying at Manor for the year, Magnuson staying at Renault, and Palmer going to Force India. Although I think probably it'd be a better move for Magnuson if Magnuson went to Force India than for Palmer to go to Force India. Hmm. That could be interesting. But again, Renault being a works team, and as they start to actually get the staffing and get the plant and get the program back into shape, it may be better to stay with Renault. Well, you never know. I mean, just because you're a works team doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a fantastic works team. I don't know. Let me think about a team that had a great reputation that's a works team that's not doing so well right now. Um, that drives red cars. That I, I was actually thinking about black cars, but red cars are also a possibility. Um, uh, except the, the team that you're thinking of with the black cars isn't, really a works team because they bought they they don't build their own engines they're the honda works team though aren't they yeah yeah i mean they are the only team okay. running Honda. okay yeah i'll give you that <laughs> but so there's that one or you could look at the little red cars i mean if you really wanted to mm-hmm. you could look at the red cars and say you know you're not doing so great especially when a non-works team has beaten you beaten the snot off of you yeah. And that would be the team in blue. The team in blue? They're, they, they're in blue with the shadowy prints on their map based oh, cars. Oh, that one, yes. The, the, the sugary drinks company team. Yes. Well, Renault has also, to remind us that they are building up the team, in particular that they are building up the Endstone base mm-hmm. as the Endstone team. Um, they have Frederick Vasseur, who is running the team, says that they have recruited uh, 80 personnel so far. And this is all uh, engineering and design and, and those logistics pieces that were gutted by Lotus as they were falling apart. Um, they have hired on 80 more people. They, he says they still have a long way to go. Um, he thinks that they need another 100 to 200 more people to join the team but the problem is they don't have the space for it um they have embarked on a um 
uh, project to expand the Endstone facility. Uh, looks like they're almost going to double the space at the Endstone facility. That should be done sometime next year. Wow. Once that construction is completed, they will be recruiting even more folks because they will have the space to put them. Do you think they need an email marketing girl? Possibly. Because, you know, I could make myself available on a consulting basis. You might have to go and take a look at their recruiting pages. You okay. might also need to speak French, but I don't know. I took French in high school. Okay. I'm pretty sure I can ask where the bathroom is. Well, that's a start. I don't know if I can ask how much is it. I mean, if you're working at the Endstone facility, it's probably not as big of a deal. But if they need you in Viri, it would be a problem. I could learn. Okay. Moving on. So, I... I I, I can't help but wonder if Jensen is going to be the dial quote next year. Oh, my word. He is going to be. He has said this week that he believes that F1 should consider shorter races for the younger generation. Okay, can I just stop for one second and say that I normally agree with Jensen. I think that Jensen is a very wise individual and has got a lot of great experience in Formula One that translates into some really intelligent thoughts this was not one of them yeah yeah what he says is you know when i watch formula one i see a race that's exciting other people might look at it and say well there are a few overtaking moves but an hour and a half there's 10 minutes of action that's why i find it exciting because when those moves happen it's amazing that drivers put everything on the line but 10 minutes of action in an hour and a half is not enough for most people and i can understand that Short races, short sports are on the up. For example, people love sprint track and field because it's a short burst of energy. I've never watched a Tour de France stage, but I've recorded a Tour de France stage and watched the last 10 minutes. F1 needs to attract a younger audience, but how you go about doing that is a lot more difficult. Jensen, watch a football game. That watch is... a baseball game. Well, yeah, either of those things. Um, okay, so let me, let's review my knowledge of sport ball for a second. Regulations on a football game is a 60-minute game of playtime mm -hmm. broken across four quarters. Mm -hmm. Everybody is now shocked that I knew that off the top of my head. <laughs> um, between pauses, breaks, times out, penalties, and other various minutiae that occurs, a football game can last about three hours in real time for these 60 minutes of play. Mm -hmm. Now, in my experience of attending the one high school football game I have now attended, I can tell you that the amount of actual action that occurs in these 60 minutes of play is probably under five whole minutes. Well, you've watched bits and pieces of the Super Bowl. Between the commercials? Yeah. Oh, that's that part that's between the commercials. Yeah. I try to go like do the dishes or something during that part. Because there's no action going on. Exactly. <laughs> See? My point? Prove it. Yes. Now, a baseball game, which I will not, I typically will not watch on TV. I may have to make an exception for the best worst World Series ever. Um, is that there's even less actual action 
but there can be a little bit more drama going on because you've got matchups and you've got, you know, left-handed pitchers with right-handed batters and switch hitters and whatchamadoodles and <laughs> I don't know, home run possibilities and bunting and all sorts of various things that happen. You want to talk about really bad just as I make this left turn into baseball? Try to watch the live play on the uh, MLB app during the last game of the Cubs where they're just trying to show you where all the balls and the, the strikes. They have like a little image of a guy mm-hmm. and they show you where the, the balls. They show you where the pitches go. Where all the different pitches went. Yep. Yeah, that was so very slow. Very slow. Anyway. But that kind of proves Jensen's point, too. Yeah, I understand that. Except that I will go to a baseball game and spend my 50 bucks to get a ticket to a baseball game because I enjoy the food and the camaraderie of being in the stands with people. And I'm not a big sport ball fan. It's not like I'm going to spend that kind of money to go see the Browns. True. We don't need to, though. Anyway. Or the Cavaliers. So this week yes. is the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. It is. So shall we talk of uh, statistics from Renault? Sure. And facts from Renault. Okay. So Renault's fact file this week. Um, the lowest starting position for a winner going into this weekend's race is 10th. Now, here's my question. Is okay. this all of the U.S. Grand Prix or is this just the Coda Grand Prix in Austin? I believe this is just Austin. I'm reasonably certain. Okay. Because it says Austin on here. I know. There, it's... I think it's 15 different tracks that there have been a U.S. Grand Prix at in the United States. I think it's 11, but yes. There have been more. The U.S. Grand Prix has been hosted at more tracks and more different locations than any other Grand Prix in the history of all of Formula One. Which Pull just shows, which just shows how much Formula One has tried to be a part of the American sporting picture. Right. Go through your facts, and I'll talk to you a little bit more about. Okay. The- so anyway, like I said, lowest starting position for a winner was tenth. The average starting position for the winner is two point five seven, though. Um, highest G force at turn four for point seven seconds is four point three G. Wow. Um. There is a 42% chance of a safety car in uh, Austin. Yeah, this has got to be for more than just... Actually, their stats don't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, Austin's race only been around four years. There's that, and they also say that there's been 16 winners from pole. See? So, but then they go into 339-kilometer top speed and 75 gear changes per lap. You got to do one or the other. You can't do both here. I know. They're, well, they're, they're mixing stuff. That, that, that's the difficulty with the U.S. Grand Prix is if you want to try to loop lump all of the U.S. Grand Prix together. For example, I just as a mm-hmm. note, Lewis, who is now on pole at the U.S. Grand Prix at Coda, has never had pole at Coda before, right. but has had pole prior at the U.S. Grand Prix in 2007 in Indianapolis. Yeah. So it gets a little blurry and muddy. In addition, Le- Liberty Media, the new owner base of Formula One, has mm-hmm. come out and said that they are very committed to increasing 
um, Formula One in the United States. Right. And um, the hope is uh, with the track director of CODA. Bobby Co- Epstein. Bobby Epstein. So, okay, so backing up a second. Liberty, Mut- Liberty is looking to expand to tracks. They're talking Los Angeles, Las Vegas, back to New Jersey. I know, everybody's shocked there. Um, Hamilton came out and said that Formula One won't have a presence in the United States until they have a New York race, just kind of as an aside. But they Bobby, did. It was in New, it was in upstate. Yeah, I think he was thinking city, which I still think yeah, is well, stupid. Well, but. he wants a street race in, in Manhattan. Oh, that's never happening. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, while I'd love to see a Formula One car go down Park Avenue. I can't imagine that they would be willing to shut down that city like that. I, I think it could be done, and actually the city would be willing to, because it would be on a weekend, um, and it would probably be something very similar to the Monaco thing of maybe we're, we've got stuff open Thursday, but clo- or, or open f- close Thursday, open Friday, close Saturday, Sunday. I don't and it also it depends on where in Manhattan they would have it. Um, you know, th- there's a good mix of residential and commercial all in a very close, tight package there. So I don't know how that would work. I think the best that they could probably do is either Queens or Brooklyn. I'm yeah. not sure they could get into Manhattan. But Anyway, um, long, long story short, Bobby Epstein then comes out and says he's concerned about more U.S. races because CODA has had a dwindling... Uh, attendance rate since mm-hmm. it opened in 2012. Now, granted, they were severely hurt by 25 inches of rain that fell during the week of co- of uh, the U.S. Grand Prix last year. Um, so what he was saying was, and then the Mexican Grand Prix is also taking away fan base. But what his point was is that over time, yes, more U.S. races could grow the interest in Formula One, but there would probably be some lean years on the buildup to getting Mm -hmm. that far, that it would have to be a a commitment for a long-term plan. What he also mentioned was that if you look across trying, the biggest deal is to get more races within the American time zone. Yeah. Um, to be able to not do them in the middle of the night for our time zone. And he says what you need to look for is more than just U.S. and Canada, but also to look down into South America beyond Brazil and look at other locations down there because it would keep it in the time zone. Well, there, there was a race in Argentina, mm-hmm. and there's been rumblings of possibly looking to have that again. I can't see much more of South America really wanting to have a race down there. Well, it, it would be an interesting thing. It's, you've got to find someplace that's economically viable. Mm-hmm. But his thought was that he could see about 12 <coughs> of the races occurring in this hemisphere. If we could keep it to about that many races in this hemisphere. But if we did 12... So half the season. Th- and well, that's his goal. Yeah, that's not going to go over well. Well, that was my question, is if you try to put half the season in the Western Hemisphere... What's going to happen? Yeah, that that's that's not going to happen. There's no way. There's no way. Keep dreaming. Anyway, moving on. Anyway. So some quirky facts about Austin. Keep Austin weird. Yes. So Taylor Swift headlined the concert supporting the, the race. With her fifth album, 1989, she became the first act to have three albums sell a million copies a week in the United States. 
Its singles, Shake It Off and Bad Blood, reached number one in the U.S., Australia, and Canada, while the album received three Grammy Awards. Okay. In 1999, film star and Austinite Matthew McConaughey was arrested in Austin for possession of marijuana and drug paraphernalia. When the police arrived, they found him dancing around, playing bongo drums, naked. Yes. I'm pretty sure it wasn't the bongo drums that were naked. (laughs) No, he actually talked about that on an interview once, about getting naked and playing the drums and smoking pot. The greater Austin area contains 10 extinct volcanoes. They used to be violent underwater volcanoes called explosion craters by geologists. Okay. So other race stuff. Um, tire selection for the weekend will be the super soft, the soft, and the medium. Sebastian Vettel, up until Saturday morning, held the lap record of 1 minute 39.347 seconds. That was broken by Lewis Hamilton, well, by Nico Rosberg once and Lewis Hamilton twice yesterday. Yes. <laughs> um, and current lap record is held by Lewis Hamilton. Yes. Uh, circuit length is 5.513 kilometers with a race distance of 308.405 kilometers. Um, Renault in America, and this would be all of the American races. They've had 51 starts, one win, nine podiums, or excuse me, yeah, nine po- podiums, two poles, three fastest laps, and 188 total points. And Renault first competed in the U.S. Grand Prix with Jean-Pierre Jaboul at Watkins Glen back in 1977, and in subsequent years completed in ra- competed in races in Las Vegas, Detroit, Dallas, Phoenix, and Indianapolis. Although it was regularly successful elsewhere, by some strange quirk of fortune, Renault scored just a single victory in the U.S. in Detroit in 1986 until Austin returned to the calendar in 2012. Wow. Now, to commemorate F1's now annual return to the United States, Daniel Ricciardo is using his one opportunity that the FIA gives him to run a special helmet. Yes, he is. He is running a special helmet that is a a replica helmet that pays tribute to Evil Knievel. Why do I get the sense that I don't think Daniel uh, is truly old enough to remember Evil Knievel? I don't know. Because, I mean, he was very, very popular during my childhood, and I'm a bit older than he is. True. One or two years. Now, his his helmet for the weekend features the famous star-spangled design that uh, Knievel wore throughout his career, as well as the slogan, Color Me Lucky which was written on his helmet after he survived an accident while jumping the fountains outside Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. However, to complete the look, Daniel's also wearing matching racing boots. Oh. I have not seen a picture of the boots yet. Um, His helmet also has um, an image of uh, Evil Knievel on the back. Nice. You know, he's going to have to have something to go with his later hosen. Uh, race suit from earlier this year. Yeah. Now, you need to check out our uh, Facebook page 
Red Bull put up uh, some videos this weekend. They wanted to remind us, this is the best I can think of, is they wanted to remind us that, yes, Williams may have had the fastest pit stops almost every race this year, mm-hmm. but they still hold the world record for fastest pit stop at 1.92 seconds. Okay. And they posted a series of videos of Daniel and Max trying to accomplish various tasks in 1.92 seconds. Oh, no. Um, from um, putting, having them wear this special suit that's covered in balloons. And this one I didn't actually share on our page. Uh, special suit covered in balloons, and how many balloons could they pop in 1.92 seconds? Um, Max didn't do very good at that. Um, to how many marshmallows, they had a bowl of marshmallows in front of them, how many marshmallows they could shove in their mouth in 1.92 seconds. <laughs> Max won that one. To uh, giving them uh, two bowls, one filled with ping pong balls and the other empty, and to see how many ping pong balls that they could transfer from one bowl to the other in 1.92 seconds. Max won that one. Okay. But uh, they wanted to remind us that, uh, yeah, they hold the record no matter how good Williams does. It's about consistency, Red Bull. Yeah. Anybody can do it once in a row. So going into the weekend, it's really easy for us to say that Lewis's oh, for <laughs> sake. season will continue. Yeah. <laughs> we got word that Mercedes broke the curfew this week to uh, do a preliminary fix on Lewis's car. Right. Now, the team did not get penalized for this because apparently, um, even though that you're you're supposed to be out of the circuit at 11 p.m. at night, there are the, the teams get two two times a year to use at their discretion that they can break the curfew. This is the first time Mercedes has done it all season. Oh wow! Um, but it was a fuel system uh, issue, and they they have not said exactly what it was, but they called the measure precautionary. Hmm. Well, I know that he was concerned he had issues, but he has come out and said that he is reassured by what the engineers have been able to tell him. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So we had qualifying yesterday. Yes. And uh, Lewis put his stamp on it with uh, the first time, like you mentioned, in Austin that he has captured pole. Yes. So... That should be a, a fairly good sign. Although after what happened in Japan, where, yeah, he kind of threw away that that race with that start, and it may not have been his fault. I don't know, but Nico says he's working on his starts, and he continues to have worked on his starts all throughout the week. And down in Austin, the word is he's working on these starts, and he's going to get better. But the statistic is looking at the numbers. Nico does not need to win another race. No, he does not. In order for Nico to win the championship, all he needs is three seconds and a third. And he would clinch the championship. Okay. And that's if Lewis gets first every Regardless time? of what Lewis does. Okay. All, all, yeah, yes, if Lewis wins every race, Nico just needs to get three seconds and a third, and, and he's got it. Um, if he wins, if Nico wins a race, it, it's like two seconds, and he's got it. Um, as much as we've been down on Nico, I think this is pretty much his year at this point. 
We'll see. It's not over yet. <coughs> it, it's not over yet. Because truly, <coughs> truly, and I, I get the statistics are against it, but it, it's still Lewis doable. to win and Nico to have a DNF, which Nico has not had the DNF after Spain this year, mm-hmm. um, you now get within only a few points again. That's all that would take because 25 points going to Lewis that didn't go to Nico and no points to Nico changes the dynamic. They're only 33 points well, apart. Well, let, let me throw this out. And, and when I heard the question, and I still kind of get bothered by it because what they were actually asking wasn't what the question was. But BBC on Five Live on their, their race lead-up podcast this week, just about everyone that they had on this week um, – they asked them the same question, all the commentators. They asked them essentially the same question of, um, given where Nico is and, and that it is extremely likely that he will win the Drivers' Championship this year, they asked them all, is Nico a worthy champion? Hmm. It's an interesting question. I'm not sure it is. And especially as, as they, they pushed harder about this, I don't even think that they were so much asking that as much as they were were trying to get out of them whether or not they thought Lewis or Nico was the better driver. Because I think that's truly what they were trying to ask is, did the better driver win the championship? Well, And, I, and that's what bothered me. I, I want to caution you on something because there have been many years where the better driver did not win the championship. And I don't think that it's, and uh, it's an argued fact that we think that Lewis is a better driver than Nico. You know, I, I, if you look at their, their career histories over the entire history, you're right. Lewis is the better driver. And even this year when they have gone head-to-head, with the exception of I think maybe once, Lewis comes out on top. Right. However, and this is where I think that you're headed, Lewis may be the better driver overall, but I think Nico's had the better season. And truly, that's what I think would make him the worthy championship because it's not really about being the better driver over the year. It's about having the better season over the year. Well, okay, I'm going to argue that, yes. I think and it doesn't take away from the driver. I, I think that Nico has had the the better season how do we qualify that he has not been plagued by the reliability issues that lewis has been plagued by he has had the deck stacked and and not conspiracy theory don't misread what mm-hmm. i'm about to say but he's had the deck stacked in his favor and lewis has had the deck stacked against him this entire year and yet here we are five ra- four races from the end and there's still only 33 points between them so I, 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 I think argue. The, I, I think the better way to put it is, is yes, I, as you say, he has not had the, the, the reliability issues and the problems that Lewis has had. But with the exception of the month of July, for the most part, when Nico has needed to step up, he has. And I will say that I think Nico has definitely benefited from being in the right place at the right time yeah. this entire year. I think really and truly what this is coming down to is the question of deserving. Do we honestly think that Nico deserves the world championship or did he basically ride Lewis's 
bad luck to the championship. I, I Actually, I won't use the word deserve. I think he's earned it. I think this year he has earned it because, again, when he's needed to step up, he has. Yeah, he, it was easier for him because of the misfortune that Lewis has had, but that's part of racing and that's part of Formula One. It happens. And you could even argue that in 2013, that's part of the reason why Lewis got his title and it came down to what it came down to at that very last race because Nico was the one who was getting all of that misfortune. That doesn't mean that Lewis didn't earn it that year. But I think in the same way that Lewis earned it in 2013 because he wasn't the one that was having the mechanical issues and was stepping up when he needed to to finally move clear, I think Nico has earned it in exactly the same way. And I don't think that takes anything away from Nico. All right, so your team, Nico, I get it. Look at it another way. Alexander Rossi mm-hmm. was. There were a lot of folks that came out against his victory at Indianapolis because of the fact that several of the other drivers who were leading that race and were at the front of that race and doing and expected to win that race did not manage their fuel levels particularly well. And as a result, they ran out of fuel, and Alexander was in the right place at the right time to get that victory. Yeah. And have tried to take away some of the shine from his victory because of that. But the reality is, at the end of the day, he's still the Indy 500 one. And that's the same thing that's going to happen here. Uh, we get to the end of the season, and, and things don't really change anymore. Is that at the end of the, the season, Nico's still going to be the guy with more points. And well, he didn't get those points because somebody said, here, we feel sorry for you. Have some points. Well, okay, but the guy that graduates in the last of his class in medical school is still called doctor. Yep. I mean, that's – that. I get it. It doesn't change the fact that he could – he has the potential and is very close to winning a world championship. And I'm not saying that he – that it, it, it should even be asterisked in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying that I think that on paper, in statistics, and all ways, the best driver on that grid didn't get it. And there would be the same argument for the number of people out there that are Fernando fans that say he's the best driver on the grid because he's in a crappy car, he's not going to get a world championship. But, but that goes back to my earlier point. The best driver doesn't on the grid doesn't always win. And I'm not saying the driver that has the best season wins. Right, it's a measure of are you in the right car at mm-hmm. the right time and at the right peak of your career. Yeah, and that the, this is this has been his year. But there's the other thing that you're missing. At the end of the season, if this goes the way it's looking to go, yes, Nico may still may have a championship, but. Sebastian Vettel still has four. Nico still has three. Lewis still uh, or, or, or has three. L- Lewis still has three, and Alonzo still has two. Yep. And Jensen still has one, and Kimmy still has one. Yep. <laughs> it's just one more name to add to the list. Yep. And next year, 
it'll be that much fire in Lewis's belly to take it back. Theoretically, it will be. We'll see. Yep. So the last thing that we have to talk about, because we haven't seen a race yet. Actually, as we are recording, the race has not happened yet. Okay. Um, we haven't really talked about it, but there has been some um, arguments and d- debates regarding uh, preseason testing next year. Right. And where to have it and what to do. Um, there's a group that wants to keep testing in Europe, specifically in Barcelona. And there's a group that actually wants to move testing or at least have a session of testing over in Bahrain. Now, the argument being that Barcelona, it's still winter that time of year, which means it's cold, and those are conditions that they never run in. Right. So it doesn't give them a good idea of how the car will perform in normal operating conditions. And more importantly, as Pirelli argues, it doesn't give them an idea as to how the tires will perform under normal conditions. So naturally, Formula One did the most logical thing and said, let's pick a warm weather climate to have testing, preseason testing in 2017. Well, there's a split camp here. Okay. You've got Mercedes and Ferrari who say, and, and I think one other team, who are saying, well, hell yeah, let's go to Bahrain. We want to see this. Then you've got Red Bull and I believe Williams and Force India who are saying, uh, it's even more money for us to go to Bahrain. We don't we don't want to spend that money. We don't have that kind of money. Which seems a little odd that Red Bull would say something like that. But Christian Horner has gone one step further. He said that the reason why Ferrari and Mercedes, but Mercedes in particular, want to go to Bahrain is because they've designed a new cooling system for their for their engines. And they can't test that cooling system in Spain because it, it's going to be too cool to really see if it's doing anything. So they want to go and do warm water, warm weather testing to see if the cooling system works before they integrate it into the system. Ah. However, the FIA has come out and said, uh, yeah, we're staying in Barcelona. All righty. Well, there you go. There you have it. Like I told you, F- the Formula One Commission would be very happy to accommodate the need for warm weather testing. Particularly for the tires that, you know, Pirelli really would like to see. Well, the thing you got to wonder is, okay, it does cost a lot more money to move all your stuff and all your testing stuff. And it's harder logistically for you to run a testing program in Bahrain than it is in Spain. Mm -hmm. You know, you you can't turn parts around as quick. I mean, that's one of the things that they're trying to do is they're trying to test parts. And as they're gathering data, they're trying to manufacture new stuff. And it's a lot harder. It's, it's a much further distance to get stuff from your plant in England down to Bahrain than it is to Germany. Right. Or, excuse me, to Spain. So I, I can see that issue. And I can see that argument there. But the other part is you need something real world. Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, I get the logistics of it. But is there not some other option that's a compromise? I mean... Spain may still be winter and cool, but is there not a, a, a not something a little bit closer that we could come up with a compromise of some sort that gets you real weather, real world conditions? I'm guessing Haas is saying, um, why don't y'all come down to North Carolina? I'm sure we can get something set up in Winston-Salem for you. See? Wouldn't that be <laughs> awesome? <laughs> I'd 
love to get to go down to a test down in uh, North Carolina. <laughs> Mind you, February in North Carolina is icy. I know. It's not going to be much better down there. But but I'm sure Haas would be really appreciative because Spain is just as far. <laughs> well, they, they can't go testing at Disney World anymore. They tore down the old track. Yep. And on that note. Um, what are your thoughts on testing on Nico? Is Nico, in your eyes, a worthy? would he be a worthy champion should he win this year? You're not asking me. You're asking our listening public. I right? am asking our listening public. Please leave us a, a, a note over on uh, Facebook or uh, over on the website. Trisha will try and remember to post a link to uh, Ross Braun's book so that you can get a copy for yourself. Um, leave us a review in whatever your podcast program of choice is. Tell your friends, tell your family, let them know how great we are, especially as the season's winding down before we get to the winter doldrums. This is the time to get them onto the show, get them listening. Well, to the if show. they watch the Austin race and they get excited, then maybe this is what you say is, Hey, listen See, to this. There you people. go. And you don't have to get up early in the morning to watch it too. See? So there you go. And on that note, I think we'll cue Barbie. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.